moment that we're going to have again of just allowing healing, encouragement, uh, motivation to walk in unity. How many of you know unity is vital in the body of Christ? Unity is vital in the church. I'm excited this morning as we start uh, a new series. We want to uh, welcome everyone watching live. Can we just give a big hand, everyone watching live, Facebook, YouTube? We're happy you're here. Awesome. So this morning we're uh, starting a new series called Hidden Figures. Uh, next week you are also going to be blessed. We're um, inviting a guest speaker from the Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, she's going to be coming, sharing some local hidden figures in northern Kentucky and Cincinnati that played a great part. You might have never heard their name, but they played a great part in overcoming uh, slavery, overcoming inequality, and she's going to come and share her story and share some hidden figure stories here with us. So I know you're going to be blessed by that uh, next week as well. But this morning, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that there's a miracle in the u- in, of unity and diversity. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning, the miracle of unity and diversity. You know, the world says that diversity shouldn't happen, that people can't work together or different races or different people of different economic uh, statuses or uh, people with different labels shouldn't be able to blend together. But we know by the power of God's word, when we experience unity, when we understand that we're all sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, then we can experience something supernatural, which I believe we experience every Sunday morning that we can come together with different stories, with baggage, with brokenness, with celebrations, all different seasons of life, and we can present ourselves before the altar of God and be transformed daily into his likeness. You know, this morning as we celebrate and as we honor Black History Month here at Gathering Place Church in the month of February, there's several people that I was just, as I was praying, that just came to mind that embodied what it meant to walk in unity, not just uh, in race or our church being multiple races, not just a white church. I was telling the, this story in, in uh, the first service that when I had graduated from here at Walton Verona and went, went out to uh, um, Bible school in East Texas, and at Bible school, you have to find a new church. Now, with me, I grew up here my entire life. I I, I, I bled GPC. You cut me and you would see a little logo come out. Uh, I was here all the time, Wednesday, Sunday, youth group. It was awesome. I'm a church kid. And I love my upbringing. I was so thankful for it because what I got to experience here in church, and this is not a white church. This is a diverse church. And what diversity taught me is a, so many life lessons that I could preach a whole nother series about. And I'm so thankful for it. And two people, two pastors that made that possible, that a part of them coming and supporting Pastor Joyce and seeing how you, Pastor Webb, and you, Sister Kim, would work with Pastor Joyce and support and how you guys would tag team and preach and, and, and what it brought into this house greatly impacted my life as a kid. And I want both of you to stand and I want to honor you as hidden figures in my life personally that showed me how to walk in unity in a marriage, that showed me how to walk in unity in the body of Christ, if both of you would stand, can we honor Pastor Webb and Sister Kim? 
We love both of you. Thankful for you. Here in a second, I want to share something else, but I want to get in some scripture to kind of set this up. In Acts 2, 5 through 6, we see the early church, and we see the way the early church operated, that there was divine unity in their church. Look what Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says. It says, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So we see Pentecost and, and all the amazing things that were activated in that moment. And we see that there was a confusion when the apostles and those in the upper room, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, when the fire fell upon them, they walk out and they begin speaking all in the same language, a tongue word that everyone could understand. And it says that they were confused. Now, if you go back to kind of what Pentecost was an undoing of, you read in the book of Genesis and the story of the Tower of Babel and how Babel, uh, Jesus divide, or God divided all the different tribes. He divided all the different uh, languages and division was brought into the world from Babel. Fast forwarding, you can go and you can read Babel and get a lot of the, the gems that are in it. But when we fast forward to Pentecost, Pentecost was an undoing of Babel, an undoing of that division to, to okay, a, a new slate, a new foundation, a new story is about to be written because of Pentecost. And so we see again that they walked out confused. Now the confusion, you, you read in the story of Babel that confusion was brought into the world. You can go and you can see it in the scripture, but it was a different kind of confusion than the confusion that happened in, the, in the, um, what we just read in Acts chapter 2. The confusion that we're talking about here is that the bystanders, the peoples in the marketplace, when they saw what was happening, were so confused that everyone was in sync and in harmony and speaking the same tongue. And what we're about to see and dive into is the miracle of unity and diversity is that it is possible for all of us to unite under the body of Christ and be in a place of so much unity that we can have such a powerful witness that people can come to Christ and people standing and, and uh, looking outside of our church can just scratch their head and be so confused of what's happening at Gathering Place Church. For year after year after year, people have been confused in our church, about our church rather. I even think of, of Pastor Joyce. Many of, of you throughout the years supported her in a place where Many denominations and many people say only a man should be able to stand. But you support it because you saw the gift and the anointing of God. I'm telling you, people get confused when the Holy Spirit works and moves, when it doesn't look the way they think it should. And that's a hallmark of our church. We, again, confused a lot of people. But we see confusion can be a very good thing in the right context, and it can make people begin to question their lives and begin to question Am I walking in a, in a place of unity? Now, we're going to get into some scripture that calls out um, disunion within the church because disunion can easily happen in the church. Somebody said amen. amen. So I want to look at some hidden figures that were a part of the early church that showed us what 
our community, what our communion with one another and with God can look like. Now, this church doesn't get a whole lot of shout-outs that we see in Acts chapter 13, but it's the church of Antioch. There isn't a first and second Antioch, kind of like there's a first and second Corinthians. But what we see in this church is such diversity in the leadership and such power that the apostles experienced when the church was being started and formed and birthed. So look at verse 13, just to list a couple names. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there was a certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, there was Simeon, there was Lucius, there was Manan, there uh, was Saul of Tarsus. So we see just a couple to name a few. Now, as I went and as I studied some of these names and kind of got familiar with their heritage, Barnabas, he was a wealthy Jewish Levite, and you can read a little bit about him in the book of Acts. Simeon was um, an African who uh, was brought into Antioch to help build the church. Um, Manan was also an African who was brought in to help build the church. So again, we're seeing diversity right off the bat from the first church that started. Lucius was a Greco-Roman. Saul, we know him, he was a Jew from Tarsus, but he was also raised in Jerusalem. So we see a lot of diversity just in their uh, in ethnic, ethnicity. And we see um, even religious diversity that we have Jews and we have Christians working together. And even a fun fact about Antioch, this was uh, the city that first labeled uh, followers of Jesus as Christians. Christians originally was not a, hey man, these guys are Christians, they're followers of Christ. They just saw that what the, these followers of Jesus were doing and the power that was happening. And so what are we going to call them? I guess we'll just call them Christians. So this name origi- originated out of Antioch. So what I want you to see through this is you see right off the bat that Jesus wanted his church to be diverse. And we're going to look at some scripture from the Gospels and from the New Testament that Paul echoed about this heart of how the church should be diverse. And as I said, in Bible college, when I went and was looking at different churches, one of the churches I walked in and I looked in, and it was great worship and it was great preaching. But then as I looked around, I said, man, this isn't good. Everyone looks like me. I don't don't think I like this. And it, because, you know, growing up GPC, you see the beauty in diversity. Now, you talk to most people outside of the church, they don't think there can be beauty in diversity like we can experience. Because either there's, in diversity, Satan either wants there to be division. God's heart is for there to be enrichment. Diversity enriches us. And we see this as we get into the word of God and get to see what these early apostles, these early church fathers had designed the church to be. And I was looking, okay, looking at a little bit of our uh, American heritage. You know, the, the motto of America nowadays, right now, right, right here, before it changed in 1956, is in God we trust. We know that's our motto. Before 1956, uh, it was a Latin motto that our country had, and it translated meant out of many, one. That even the heart of this country is that we're, we're a melting pot. We all have Im- immigrated from somewhere, and out of the many of us, we can be one. When you think about it, it's, it's a mind-blowing concept, but it's not anything new because our founding fathers saw it in the word of God and saw it could be possible. It's amazing when you think about it. 
a church father uh, by the name of Augustine of Hippo. He says this, and you can read this on the screen behind you if you're taking notes. And this is really a good quote of how when we deal with conflict, when we deal with, we have disagreements, or we don't see eye to eye on things, this really speaks to that. It says, in the essentials, there's unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberty. But in all things, there's charity. Love that. Love it so good. I love hearing myself read it. I'm going to say it again. It says, in the essentials, there's unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberties. Okay, there's some freedom. But in all things, there's charity. So learning to work together, learning to uh, maybe disagree on some things, at the heart of it, there has to be love. We live in a world and in a culture today where the charity and the love side of, of defending your opinion or debating things usually is absent. And that's why we see so many messes in our country and in our churches, because people just want to prove their points, and if they get offended, they run and they leave, and they don't work through things. Let's look at what Paul has to say about some things. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 12, it says this. It says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. So Paul doesn't mince words, very clear and direct. The church speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you. But that you are perfectly joined together, somebody say joined together, together. in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are no contentions among you, or that there are contentions among you. I was kind of reading this, and I was looking at Chloe's household. Chloe seems to be uh, the mom of the house who picks up on all the gossip and then goes and reports to Paul. Everyone has a Chloe in their household. So he's saying he's noticing some of these contentions. And then here's what these contentions are. They're saying, uh, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, who's Peter, or I'm, I'm, I, am, I am of Christ. And so there's all this contention of theology and ideas and what are we to believe and how are we to work together. Some are saying that I'm of Paul, who's the founder of all this and this strong man. Others are saying, I want to follow Apollos because if you look at Apollos, he was a very gifted and charismatic speaker. Or I'm of Peter, I've seen the miracles and the sermon he preached where thousands have been saved. Or some are saying, I'm of Christ. And if you look and you study that, it says that basically I'm of Christ, there's a false piety where burn all the commentaries, heck with the church, and I'm just following Jesus. So he's addressing this is that, okay, you're, you're kind of in the right vein, but there's already division starting. You look and you research, there's over 40,000 different denominations in America. I think if we think about it, that was never God's heart and God's perfect will for the church to be. That there's so much division in the church, in the body of Christ. And as I was even preparing this, it was so heavy on me. I just began to cry. I began to pray for our city. I began to pray for our church. Because it's tough when you see so much division. And it's tough even when you feel division. You know, one of the worst things that I've experienced of being a pastor just almost two years now is when there's a disagreement and someone doesn't come to you. They just heck it and leave. And then you're like, what, what happened? You know, there's a right and a wrong way to handle everything. And I pray all of our heart is, is that we handle things right, that we work through things, 
And so he's saying, don't be divided. Work through things. Work through conflict. Kind of something that came to me that I, I think is a good way that we can handle conflict. And again, conflict just isn't in church. Conflict is in the home. Conflict is in the marriage. You know, I was, when I went to, to go and try to find someone, okay, God, who do you have for me? And I came across Bree. One of the things that attracted her to me is that she wasn't like me. So I know if I would have married myself, I would have been bored out of my mind. <laughs> Bree brings the adventure, the creativity, the fun into our lives. That's a healthy, good diversity. Now, there's other diversity that can cause division pretty quickly, and we have to work through that. But there's a way that we work through that conflict where we don't let it divide us, where we're sitting on both ends of the couch every night. We're sleeping, and you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to work through things. So here's just a rule of thumb, and you can write it down. It'll be on the screens behind you. When dealing with conflict, it says, make room while remaining in the room without removing things from the room. So we got to make room to have conversation of all different types of conflict. But we're not going to remove things from the room. We're going to remain in the room. We're not just going to shout it. We're going we're gonna to look each other in the eye and we're going to talk through things. Sometimes it is healthy to talk on the phone first and then, then we can <laughs> talk face to face. But then we're not going to remove things from the room. So there's things that are truth. Truth, we're not going to compromise but we're going to work things through. So this is just a healthy life habit in dealing with conflict. And so again, Paul is addressing this Corinthian church. You read a lot of Corinthians, it's really funny because most of Paul's language is addressing the division that he keeps seeing and that he's dealing with. Looking onward, we see also Paul talking in Ephesians 4. He's imploring them as a prisoner of Christ to walk in unity the church in Ephesus. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. How many of you know you have a calling that you were called to? And he's saying you need to walk worthy of it. That there is a, as Charles said in our football Sunday, there's a swagger that you can walk with. There's, there's a way to walk in your calling. But look how he says it. It isn't kind of what success tells us of how we're to walk. And I got so convicted when I read this because, man, I need to be praying this more as Paul was. But he says, we have to walk with it in lowliness and gentleness. This is the path to walk as we're in the room. And it says, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, I love that word, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So we're seeing Paul saying, you need to have an extreme pursuit to pursue unity, to pursue peace. And then he goes on to list some non-essentials, that these are what we're all about as the church. It says that there's one body and one spirit. This is our confession. All of us, you sitting here, you call yourself a follower of Christ, you've confessed to this, and you continually confess to this. It says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, who is through all, and who is in you all. I love this. You know, I was looking up just some monumental moments, even in our culture in America. And as, again, we're in Black History Month and we celebrate the accomplishments of so many. If you don't follow us on Facebook, please do because we're, we're showing so many hidden figures that did so much to get us to where we're at today in our, in our culture and in our society. Me and Bree, we uh, took some time and we prayed and we watched uh, a movie called Selma. 
If you haven't seen it, I encourage everyone to watch it and educate yourself and see the price that it took for African Americans to have the privilege to vote. And you see throughout the movie and the research I've done and, and the price that was paid in Selma, the march to, to believe that things can be better, that things can be what the Constitution says, that all men are created equal. Don't you think, we, think God, we serve, and he's given us Jesus, that we're all created equal, no matter our economic status, no matter where we come from, no matter our race, no matter our skin color. People get it wrong, but God has it right, and when we look to him, that spirit can come into a gathering like we are today. And I pray as we move forward that God would so anoint this house where those, those deep, disgusting, ugly values and thoughts that are even hidden in people or that are just hidden in different areas of society, that healing can come and God might send one of us in there to shake some things up. MLK is a man I've always honored since I was young. We talked in our Easter service last year that um, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. MLK is a modern-day mar martyr who gave his life at the age of 39, assassinated. He gave his life for what he believed in. And look at the things that he changed. But you know, it, it wasn't just him. He was the voice, the mouthpiece of it. But there were so many hidden figures around him and beside him that believed that things could be better. You look at Selma, the first march that they did, it was predominantly all African Americans marching across this bridge, believing that, again, things can be better. And as they're about to cross the bridge, they meet resistance. The law at the time was not going to allow them to march. And again, the thing that was beautiful about MLK, everything he did was so uh, deeply rooted in his Christian beliefs and in his faith and in the word of God. That's why he was so successful. And so his nonviolent approach toward things literally changed so many things. And so as he was, they were having this nonviolent approach, no one in the march had weapons, no one was saying anything. The call was given on the other side to go and begin to break it up. You see it portrayed and you see graphic images of, of gas being thrown and men and women of all ages being clubbed. It was a horrible and disgusting thing that happened in our country. It was known as Bloody Sunday is what history will record it as. I can tell you at that moment as they see mothers and fathers and children and just not understanding, thinking they're moving toward the right thing, thinking this march would accomplish what they feel God has put in their heart and, and what they've heard and what they know, and then to see it happen that way. Well, the beautiful thing about MLK and his faith in God is he wasn't going to allow that to keep him defeated. It wasn't but Tuesday he, or, as that happened, he got on the air and, and there was uh, media crews there filming what had happened. And these images were going in homes all across America. People of all races were seeing this and began to cry in their homes and began to pray. And MLK gave a call for all clergy, for anyone anywhere who believes in what we're doing to come and show up Tuesday and we're going to march again. The amazing thing is thousands of people showed up all these different clergy of all races and gender, male and female, showed up to support what MLK was believing for. All these hidden figures willing to risk their reputations, willing to risk their jobs, willing to risk their families to show up to see this injustice defeated. 
I love what it says. Uh, one of the quotes that MLK said during Selma. See if I can find it. I want to read it word for word. He says this again and again. We must rise to the majestic heights. And this is the majestic heights that our church can operate in as we talk about these heavy things. He says, we must rise again and again to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. God's given us soul force to meet the physical barriers and things that we have, the injustices we see in the world, the injustices in the sanctity of life, the injustices of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East being persecuted and killed every day. We're a church that's going to do something about it. We're willing to get our hands out and, and get messy and dirty. We're not going to be just safe all the time. It's easy just to sit in our churches and be safe. The gospel is not safe. The gospel is all about a cross. And I don't know, when I was putting this together, I, I feel just God is wanting to impart such another level of unity into our church because of whoever he's bringing into the house, because of whatever he's going to do to the house. He is going to send us, we are an incarnational church. What that means is we just don't do church. We go out and we be the church. We be the very hands and feet of Jesus. And if we can educate ourselves, if we can know the word of God, if we can look at history and learn from it, then we'll, we'll, we'll never repeat it. We'll be proactive. We'll see healing begin to touch. And at the end of the service, if you've ever been affected by feeling you've dealt with race on both sides of anything or whatever, I believe God can heal you and go to those tough places, those memories in your life, and touch you and heal you and set you free. And so we see, again, Paul addressing all of these different things, and he's saying it's not going to come easy, that there's a struggle attached to it. And I want to show you that in a minute. As, I'm, as you turn to John 17, what's amazing about Selma in the third march in the second march, actually, what had happened is MLK was leading it and these clergy were there. And as they meet to the point where resistance was, the other side was still going to break up the protest. And so you see MLK make a bold and fearless move. He looks at them and then he just begins to walk back into the crowd. So they turn around because he wasn't going to see that happen again to all those people. Things begin to change. Terrible things happen. There's an account of an African-American man and a white priest. Uh, they're walking together. They're talking. They're having conversation about what's happening and working together. God was doing amazing things through the terrible things that were happening. happening. What you see is uh, two men come out of nowhere. They see that intermingling happening, and they get clubbed and beaten to death. And it's, again, after that, these, the, the stories went out and more people got furious and more good people rose up to the occasion and then joined for a third march. And it was in that third march is when everything changed. They marched through, the resistance moved out of the way, and then it wasn't but five months later that the president put ink to paper and signed and changed our law. Amazing, amazing things. But it was because of their persistence. It was because of MLK's willing to trust the word of God. You even see things where uh, they wanted to try to get inside MLK's head and break up his family. There would be uh, people that would call and, and try to make 
show a sign that there was, MLK was in a, uh, an affair and his wife would have to hear these things on the call. All these terrible things that would happen to try to stop progress. Whenever we make progress, always know there is resistance to it. And we see this through Selma. Again, before we get to John 17, I was getting a little bit ahead of myself. This stuff fires me up, as you can tell. But there was a, uh, an archbishop priest. He was a Greek Orthodox priest that if you look at the live pictures of Selma, he, it was MLK, uh, one of his uh, colleagues, and then it was this priest that was standing hand in hand and watching and marching together. And this priest was over thousands of churches in North America and South America. He said this, and I love what he says, and I want us to take this to the bank when it comes to dealing with conflict or, or all the things we're talking about. He, he, wants, he says this, he reminds both his supporters and critics that the noble cause of equality for all was the essence of our Christianity, behind which we cannot shield ourselves with righteousness. He goes on and affirms we cannot be Christians in name and not in spirit and action. That should hit all of us to the core. Our faith is not in the church doors, but it's in spirit and it's in action. If our most prized possession is merely the respectability of Christians, we all want to be respected. It's not a bad thing. We all want Christianity to have a great name. But he, he goes on to say, if that's just our prized possession, says then we bring to it nothing but dishonor. Christianity is not a jewel for safekeeping. It is a living thing which struggles, somebody say struggles, with the challenge of an evil. And it rejoices spiritually when the evil is overcome and dies, here's the, the, the tough part of it, and dies when the challenge remains unmet and the evil triumphs. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, his vision, his purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. There is evil that wants to destroy your homes. There's evil that wants to destroy your marriage. There's evil that wants to raise your children and destroy your children. Our job as the incarnational church is we have the power and the ability to destroy the works of the devil. We are in a spiritual warfare. I can tell you Martin Luther King knew how to pray and bring down strongholds and come up against things in the spirit. It's vital. And so we see in John 17, this was Jesus' prayer before his passion would begin. And if this is something that was one of the last prayers to leave Jesus' lips, it should be, we should see this, that it's very important and it's something that we're to model and to have an extreme pursuit of. Because I think as we get caught up in life, just we get in our own little places and spaces and we go where things are comfortable. But pursuing unity, it takes getting out of our comfort zone. And the thing is, the early church saw so many miracles and saw so many, the power of God moving, that they didn't have time to get caught up in all the little petty stuff that we do. So Jesus says this, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. This is us today. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. So we see a Trinitarian relationship. We see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's the part that just screamed out at the page to me. It said, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So if this relationship 
that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are having, if we're having that with God and then we're having that with each other, it's saying that this is going to be a great witness that the world will believe that Jesus Christ saves lives, that the Holy Spirit can touch and change lives. He's saying if you can pursue this level of unity, then things in the world can change. God would love nothing better, or the enemy would love nothing better than to divide a worship team, to divide a children's ministry, to divide your homes. That's how he works. He works best in division. That's the, the road he has to have in order to bring about what he wants. But God, on the other hand, works best in unity and diversity. That's, that's the fertile ground that he can do miracles in. None of us are too high to ever humble ourselves. No one is better than somebody else. There's nothing worse than when you walk up to someone and someone eyes you up and down and they're telling you without saying it, I'm better than you. I pray as believers that we would always pray, as Paul said, in lowliness and gentleness, that we would see people made in the image of Christ. Paul, again, echoes this in strong language. We see in Philippians chapter one, he talks about living as citizens of heaven. This is how we're to live and operate. Look what Paul says in Philippians 1, 27. He says, above all, somebody say above all. So we see the level of magnitude where he's trying to bring us. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether, then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. Standing together with one spirit and with one purpose. Fighting together. So this isn't just a little lofty idea. Saying now fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated because this kind of fight is not easy. So he's saying, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And here's, again, where we see Paul echoing what Jesus says. If you get this down, if you operate in this, if you walk in this, then there's going to be power and there's going to be a witness here. It says, then this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved. So this is kind of a mind-blowing situation when I read this. He's saying, if you're walking in unity, people on the outside that are looking in or people just watching your life, they're going to scratch their head and be confused and they're going to come to a place of fearing God just because the level you're walking in unity in Christ. They're going to have this sense of, okay, something's not right in my life. And on the other hand, it's saying that if you do walk in this, you're going to have this assurance of being saved, that you're walking in salvation because salvation just isn't a one-time moment Scripture clearly says that I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Scripture, uh, salvation is a lifetime journey. Verse 29 says this, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Suffering is healthy. We are in this struggle together. Someone say, I'm in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. So Paul's just being blunt. He's not mincing words. He's saying, if we're all going to live as citizens in heaven, there is a struggle in the process of it. Bree, if you would come. I want us to have a moment 
as Martin Luther King said, meet the barriers and the walls in your life, not with physical force, but with soul force. When you begin to pray, when you begin to see the mountains in your life, or you begin to look and, and analyze the relationships in your life, your family, and you begin to ask God, okay, I'm going to meet this with some soul force. I'm going to look at the words of Paul, and I'm going to begin to pray to have a relationship with God, even as Jesus said, that I would be one as the Father and as the Son and as the Holy Spirit are one, that I want to make room without leaving the room but not removing anything from the room. I'm telling you, when we get serious about unity as a community and we get serious about unity in our personal lives, it's the breeding ground for miracles. It's the breeding ground to see the power of God literally change a city. Think if people knew Gathering Place Church as a church that was so unified together, it confused people and they just had to know what was happening. They had to see a church walking together. Now, there's always levels that we can go up in. Our church has made lots of progress, but we never just stop. We always keep growing. So my prayer is, is that you would ask God, what is my part in this? How can I uh, experience diversity? You know, we've, we just started small groups. And small groups is a place where you can share your life, where you can open up and, and trust the people around you. You know, there's even a passage of scripture where uh, Paul rebukes Peter because when he goes to eat and, and dine, he always would go and sit with the Jews and not the Gentiles because they're the Gentiles. And he would just go over what's comfortable with the Jews. Paul, re Paul rebukes Peter for that. Again, there is a miracle of unity and diversity. And my heart is that all of us would experience that. You know, the unfortunate thing is we grow up in public schools or we grow up in spaces and places that put biases in our head, that tell us how we should think about someone, that tell us what real success is and it's okay if I step on people's shoulders all the time to get what I want. Going after diversity at the heart of it is having a heart of selflessness and being able to humble ourselves and say, God, whatever it looks like, whoever you bring into my life, I'm no better than anyone else. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ you watch the miracle that you can begin to see happen. Diversity has enriched both of our lives more than almost anything else. We love, if you've joined the church, you'll get a text from us and you'll say, let us know when you're available. We're getting dinner and we're getting lunch and we want to hear your story. We love hearing people's stories and we love hearing people's journeys, whether good or bad. I'm telling you, walking in unity is what it's all about. We can come together and we can praise and all these things, but I don't want fake unity. We want the real deal. Because when we, how we know when we'll have the real deal is we'll begin to see things change. We'll begin to see freedom come into the house. We'll begin to see people just put off wrong mindsets, being transformed in our, in our minds. It's amazing what happens when we begin to walk at it. And this month, as we honor hidden figures that paid great prices for many of us to be where we're at today. You know, I stand on the shoulders of my grandmother, Pastor Joyce, as well, and of my parents and of many of you who have built this church for 30 years. It just didn't happen. All of us stand on the shoulders of someone who have sacrificed and who have given and who have, who have given of themselves in order for this church to be beautiful and bring truth. 
So right now, I just want us to take a moment of prayer. If you'd bow your head, Jesus, we come before you right now. God, our heart's cry is to be one with you, to be one with our neighbor as you and I are one. God, we want that divine unity imparted into our lives. Father, I pray right now healing of anyone who's experienced that look of someone looking you up and down and just communicating that I'm better than you. I pray for anyone who's experienced racial inequality. I pray for anyone who's experienced just an overwhelming sense of whatever it is, feeling that just I'm stuck. I feel like people got it out for me. God, I pray for those, just those thoughts, those mindsets, God, that you would bring peace right now. God, that we wouldn't be intimidated, we wouldn't be fearful, but we would invite your presence to fight those mindsets, to heal those areas of our lives. In Jesus' name. God, I also pray for biases in the room and those watching online. God, wherever they were formed or whatever we were told, whether it's a teacher whether it's a preacher, whoever it is. God, I pray that you would heal those and that we would see each and every person, our neighbor, those in the church and outside the church as someone created in the image of God, that everyone is created equal. God, allow something begin to be birthed here at Gathering Place Church in Florence, Kentucky. Allow people to be so confused because they see the transformation that's happening. They see a church walking in unity. God, that was your dying prayer. And allow that dying prayer to be what we echo here in the house. God, we are expectant for you to come and do. Pray healing in Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. You know our name this morning. Father, as we sing this prayer, as we confess this, as we take this time of healing, allow your Holy Spirit, allow your presence to hover over us and come do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.